very applicable to today's message. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, Got the Anglican look on today. How's it going? Any any ex-Anglicans? There you go. It's for you guys. Mixing it up. I'm, I'm going to do the charismatic in a couple of weeks. That's kind of like a bathing suit and a towel. <laughs> St- stay tuned for that. Sorry, I just wrecked your whole day, didn't I? It just, <laughs> sorry about that. That was too far. If my wife were here, she'd say that was too far. So our, our family is um, being Horner-like again, even those that have married into the Horner family. I think most of you know our son Kyle has been experiencing chemotherapy. He's had a bit of a rough week, and they had to admit him, and so all that's going on. So we get to the hospital yesterday at the Met, and uh, ready to sit down with Kyle and you know just kind of encourage him a little bit, spend the afternoon. And before we even got there, his wife Kathy is has left the hospital and is on her way uh, to her mom's place. Uh, her mom Kay, uh, we're not sure exactly what happened if. Uh, she had a seizure, or she was dizzy, and she fell, or she tripped on something. Anyway, she uh, struck her head, and she's got a brain bleed now in her head, and she's in ICU at, uh, at the uh, Hotel Duke campus. And so we were tag-teaming both hospitals yesterday. So we'd appreciate if you pray for Kay. The, the brain bleed was, is actually larger today than it was yesterday. So they may, they may have to do something surgical. The uh, neurosurgeons are kind of digging into that today. So, <laughs> wow, eh? Stuff just keeps happening. So let's talk about that when stuff keeps happening. Psalm 42, because it's not just us. Psalm 42. I want to read the psalm. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so I will speed sermon this for you. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, and when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of the Lord under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to God, to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my my God. It's a familiar psalm, I know that, especially the first few verses. And we used to sing it um, a lot back in the good old days. Let's call the good old days the 80s. And um, you remember, right? The psalm is called a maskil. It's a Hebrew word for some kind of musical term. And because you folks know that I'm not musical, I'm not going to dive into that. 
So like many psalms, it was put to music. Not strange for us even today because we not only memorize many psalms, and the, psalm, the word psalms is taken from a Greek word, which means songs, but we put them to music as well. And with Christian radio these days and all of the digital stuff, you've got that 24-7. This psalm is sung in our days with the title, As the Deer. The theme, the writer mentions that he is downcast three times and answering the questions, where is your God, twice. In fact, not only is he answering the question, where is your God, but he's being taunted to answer the question. And we're told from the Psalms that it's enemies, that there are those that would oppose him. We don't know the reason for their opposition. It may be to him, the writer. It may be just that they're opposed to God. We don't know. But there seems to be this understanding. Something difficult or challenging is happening to the writer of the psalm, or he's writing about something that is difficult, that is happening to somebody else. And it seems like they're a person of faith but there are those that are taunting them to say, look, all of this bad stuff is happening to you. All of these difficulties are coming your way. And it seems like God is absent without leave. And they say twice, where is he? Where is your God? If you're a person of faith, if God loves you, if you believe that God answers prayers, if you believe that God does miracles, then why isn't he doing it? Where is your God? In fairness, those are questions we've heard from others. In fairness, there may be sometimes questions that we've thought about when we've been going through the midst of difficult things and it seems like God's a little late to the show. We kind of wonder, where is our God? The question that we want to answer, right, is, is the why. But if I can just challenge you a little bit this morning to think differently, that the why is this happening to me isn't maybe the best question. I, I get it. I understand it. I've seen it. I've seen it impact people that are close to me. But I'm not sure is why is whatever the difficulty is happening to me is the best question. I think what the psalmist is going to dig into is this. Is why am I feeling the way I'm feeling about what's going on? What's going on in me? What's going on inside of me? You'll notice that he, he's asking questions all of the time or questions are being asked of him. You know, where is your God? That's the enemy that's taunting him. And he's asking himself the same things. Well, why am I so downcast? Why am I so disturbed? Why am I so upset? Why was it at one time, you know, the joy of the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing here, the joy of the Lord was my strength, and I used to lead people to the house of the Lord, and now I don't go anymore. Ne never mind lead them. I I'm not in the middle of the crowd. I'm not even at the back of the crowd. I'm, I'm not in the crowd at all anymore. Why am I responding this way? You can be downcast. You can be upset. I'm going to use a real technical word. You can be bummed out for many reasons. The real questions are, where are you going to go, and what are you going to do about it? 
Where are you going to go and what are you going to do about it? I've broken the psalm down into three. I don't know if that's, that's great or not, but it seemed like it fit. I, I'm going to deal with the first one, one to four. The, the psalmist is upset. Five to eight, there's this sojourn, there's this journey of discovery. And then nine to 11, there's the faith determination that I think that's important for all of us to get to. So, so let's look at this. Uh, Psalm 42, he talks about as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after God. Now, you know, I haven't had, uh, I haven't been able to find my hunting license or any of that stuff for a very long time. So when I was 16, I did what every good Northern Ontario boy does. I went and got the hunt license and the guns and all of that stuff. And somewhere along the time of old age, I've, I've lost all of that. So when, when Mitch, who likes to, you know, shoot at things, when Mitch said, hey, Dad, you know, we need to go, we need to do this, we need to do that, I said, look, I'm going to look for all that stuff. I got files all scattered throughout the house. I'll try to find the stuff. And I've never been able to find the hunting license again. And so, you know, I basically have to restart the process and uh, just let Mitch know I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> I got my boating license last year, thanks to Ashley's encouragement, but... I don't think I'm going back for the hunting license. My point is this. When you're hunting something in the bush, like a deer, it tends to run. Now, I know we got deer stands and we kind of wait for it to run to us, but generally, you know, if we're not baiting it, somebody else is moving it towards us. I can remember back in the good old days when I was in my late teens and my early 20s and, and being at my, my brother's moose camp. My brother Brian, who's a big, you know, love, love hunting the moose up north. And we had this, he had this cabin in the middle of nowhere on the Opikonimica River. Um, let's, shall we say, somewhere between Sudbury and Gogama. And so you'd cut in on this road uh, to Elk Lake and you'd get off the road and you'd go down a pole line and you know, you get to the river and you get in the river and you go up the river and the cabin is up there. You can't drive to it. In the winter, you can snowmobile to it, but you can't, you can't drive to it. And, and they would hunt a lot of moose. And occasionally we would see them. We, I remember we caught a, a female one time in, in the river as we were going fishing and one was right in the middle of the river and that was kind of fun and we bombed around it for a little bit but didn't want to freak it out too much so we let her go. But every once in a while, they would knock one down. They'd bring it home, and we'd share it. When animals are being hunted, they tend to run. But I mean, back in these days, they're not being hunted with uh, 308s. Uh, they're probably being hunted by somebody with a bow, or they're probably being hunted by something that has four legs and growls at them. But, th but the idea is this, is that the deer has been running so long, it is so out of breath, it is so winded, and it is so thirsty, that if it doesn't find water soon, it's literally going to expire. This guy must have seen that kind of hunting in the past as he takes that expression of what a deer was like when it was on the run to himself and understanding this, that the way a deer thirsts for water after it's been chased through the bush or the wilderness for a while is the same way that he feels about God, that he is dying of thirst for God. And he's dying of thirst for God because like the deer, there's something wrong going on. He's being chased. Metaphorically, he's being chased spiritually. There's some difficulty that he's facing in his life. And he recognizes that through this chase, through the, the tumult of whatever it is that he's going up through, that it's absolutely vital that he meets with God. 
that he's got to connect with God because of the, the difficulty in which he's experiencing. He recognizes that there's nobody else that can talk to him about this. There's really nobody else that can offer solace. He has to meet with God. Where can I go to meet with him? Now, the writer's slick, but I got him. He may be using that as an excuse of saying, you know, if I could just find the right place in the right time, where, where can I go to meet with him? Folks, you already know the answer to that. Where can you go to meet with him? Say it out loud. Sure. Where else? Right here. Where else? Anywhere. I realize we're New Covenant. This is Old Covenant. I realize temple or tabernacle, it's a big deal. But I also recognize that these folks knew what it was just to connect with God spontaneously. Where can I go to meet with God? There's, there's no one place where you meet with God. The church doors don't need to be open for you to meet with God. I mean, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God by Spirit dwells within you. You can connect with God anywhere. At any time, at any place. And probably in the midst of a crisis is a good time to meet with him. And meeting with him right in the crisis. Where can I go? He talks again about him being upset. His tears have been his food day and night. I mean, that, he's not eating, he, he's not really drinking, but, but what he is consuming is the tears that are running out of his eyes, running down his face, and running into his mouth. I mean, this guy's been crying day and night, and that's basically the only liquid or sustenance that he's had. And some of you have been there, right? You've cried so hard that it feels like, it, like your eyes literally are waterfalls and it's running down your cheeks, and it's running down your face, and you feel messy, and you feel sloppy when you've been dealing with something really hard. And it feels like, you know, I, I couldn't eat a thing, but boy, I could cry. I could cry a meal. I could cry a couple of meals. My tears have been my food day or night. And he laments the fact that people have been saying to him during the day, where is your God? Why hasn't God shown up? Why hasn't God answered this already? Why hasn't God fixed this? Your God's a good God, right? Yeah, well, why hasn't he fixed this? You're a Christ follower, right? Yeah, well, why, why hasn't he fixed this? Why are you facing that? Why is that obstacle there? Why is there that problem with your family, with your kids, with your marriage, with your health, with your finances? Where is your God? I mean, if he was any kind of a good God, this would be fixed now. If he was any kind of a good God, your Christians wouldn't even have a problem. Every day would be a party. Well, that'd be good, eh? <laughs> Where is your God? It seems like he doesn't have a good answer. Because there's no response. Where is your God? There's this statement in verse 4. I remember when. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praises, how I used to lead, one of the versions, the throng. He is saying this, 
There was a time when I was a leader. There was a time when I was a spiritual leader. There was a time where the joy of the Lord really was my strength. There was a time that I liked nothing better than to go to the temple or go to the tabernacle. I mean, I was always the first one to say, yeah, and I was always the first in line, and I couldn't wait to go there. But you'll notice this, right? It's I used to. What happens to us that we go from I was the leader to I used to? What, it is, what is it that's got in the way, folks? Who is it that's got in the way, folks? What thing didn't happen that got in the way? What prayer wasn't answered that got in the way? What dream or wish didn't come true that got in the way? What report got in the way? I used to. There's too many people with I used to. Too many people with the I used to and then find either a fault with God or a fault with people or a fault with the church and they, they justify the I used to. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the board's fault. It's the person beside me's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my husband's fault. And you know this, and it's probably true. It's your mother-in-law's fault. <laughs> She's not here Crystal Sunday. One week left. He's upset, and it's got in the way and it stopped him from even going to the house of the Lord. But he's digging. He remembers in verse 4, the things I remembered as I pour out my soul. As he's talking to God, it's starting to churn in him this, this remembrance of, of days in the past that were better. But as he's moving through that, he finds in the midst of that that his soul is downcast and his soul is disturbed. It says it in verse 5. It says it in verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. I mean, and then if you go down to verse 11, there it is for the third time. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Good questions when you're going through stuff. Good questions, not the why is this happening to me, but the impact of it seems to be hurting me spiritually. It's robbing me of my joy. I'm believing the lies of my enemies or enemy, and, and it's, it's turning me away from God. Look, in every difficulty, there's two possibilities. The first one is that you're going to move away from God. And the second one is that you're going to move closer to God. One of those two things is going to happen. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that our faith will be tested. And the point of testing our faith is to make sure that we have a purified faith, one that truly does trust and believe and love God. That it's not some kind of, well, as long as everything is going my way, faith, I'm into Jesus. And as soon as something happens that's difficult, I turn away from Jesus. And so he understands that his soul is downcast. He's, and he starts to dig into this about why am I feeling the way he is? The soul struggle, folks. 
the soul struggle. Look what he says. And again, I, I don't have time to, to do justice to this today, but let me do my best. Look at this in, in verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I'm reading from the 2011 version of the NIV. Deep calls to deep. The Hebrew word translated deep here is to home, to home or to hum. And it means this, an immeasurable abyss or chasm. And this phrase is attached to scenes of waterfalls, waves, and breakers. Are his sorrows like overwhelming forces of waterfalls, waves, and breakers? Does he look to God to break into his life like a crashing wave or a rumbling waterfall? It may be that he feels his sorrows have swept over him. Or in the past, God's love has swept over him. Or, or maybe even both. It's hard to know exactly. Are these remembrances of when he felt the love of God overwhelming them? Or is it this time now where he feels like the crisis in his life, the circumstances in his life are like a chasm or an immeasurable abyss. And there's so much hap happening to him that's negative that he feels that he could never climb out of it. I think it's that. I think he does eventually reflect on the faithfulness of God. But in the middle of the psalm, he is seeing these obstacles like an immeasurable abyss or chasm that he could never climb out of or across. It is absolutely overwhelming to him. You may feel like you're in a to home right now. We know the phrase in modern English. We're in deep. We're in over our heads. We're at the deep end of the pool now. Expressions suggesting a situation in life that is beyond us. We need God now or we will drown. I feel alone the psalmist says, but I know I am not. I feel that God is far away, but I know that he isn't. There are times when I don't feel his love, but the word tells me that his love is directed to me in the daytime, and at night his song is upon my heart and in my prayers. Verse 8, the love of the Lord follows him in the day, and his song is on his lips and in his heart, even at night. You know what it's like when you're dealing with stuff. It never goes away. Oh, you might get busy in your day and there'll be moments of time or even periods of time when you're not thinking about it. But, but in the alone moments, when deep calls out to deep, when deep cries out to deep, when something deep within you cries out to God, you remember that those thoughts are, are there they never really leave you. They don't like just kind of drift away. But he reminds himself that God is there. Our prayers are many. Daytime, nighttime, God is on his thoughts. He's praying about his need. And obviously he is hoping for answers. And he encourages himself that at least sometimes in the past, in his remembrance, God was there. But it eventually gets to this. This isn't the answering the why is this happening to me question. This is dealing with the what am I going to do about it. It's the faith determination. 
We are in the midst of a journey when we are sorting out all of the difficult things that are happening to us and trying to deal with the whys, again, which is a question sometimes best not asked or tried to answer. But we eventually get to the point as we're in the midst of the journey that we have to get to this point. This is where you need to get. When you don't see what you want to see, when you don't feel what you want to feel, and when you don't hear what you want to hear. This is where you need to go. He says this. Verse 11. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's got all of the questions. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about warning, mourning, pressed of the opinion? Uh, uh, pardon me, uh, oppressed by the enemy. My, my bones in verse 10, physically he is feeling not well. Where is your God? Look at these questions. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in mourning? And where is your God? What's your answer? It's hard to have a good answer, isn't it? Why are we going through this? Why am I feeling the pain of this? Why does it feel like I've been forgotten? Because we know in our hearts that that's not true. I mean, he just said that God directed his love to him during the daytime in his prayer. The song was on his lips at night. He knows that that's not true. So we don't try to answer those questions. We do this. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, because he is my Savior and my God. The reality is this, and let me conclude. The reality is this. It is not the what that's going on in your life. We will all have difficulties in crisis. There's no point comparing to your buddy beside you which one's worse. It's where has the crisis put you? And as I said earlier, where are you moving? Further from Jesus or closer to Jesus? Enemies or the enemy will taunt you. Maybe even family and some friends. Where is your God? Why are you suffering? Don't you love Jesus? Why would he allow this? They are great questions. I just don't know if we have great answers. Faith questions, real questions. Obstacles to faith are opportunities to grow your faith and trust in your God. Here is the good question to ask. Why am I downcast and why is my soul so disturbed within me when I know for a fact that God in the past has been faithful to me? I remember when I used to lead the procession to the house of the Lord and the joy of the Lord was real. And that was all real and that was all true. I recognize that I'm not the only one that faces difficulty, but the Lord reminds us that he is faithful, that his eyes and his ears are upon the righteous. He is attentive to their prayers. The Bible reminds us that we can cast our cares upon him because he does care for us. The Bible reminds us that we can cast our burdens on one another and allow the saints of God to help carry our burdens as well. We recognize that his love is eternal, that it doesn't, it doesn't fade away in the, in the heat of the day. It's not like dew on the grass, but it's eternal and it's substantial and it remains with us. So why am I downcast? Why am I so disturbed when I have a God that loves me and promises to never leave me nor forsake me? 
that he's proven himself faithful in the past, not just to me, but to others. And there is a biblical record and account of all of that. So we understand the upset. I'm not telling you not to be upset. I'm not telling you not to cry. I'm not telling you that you won't feel at times that the joy is gone. I won't tell you that you won't feel like leading the procession sometimes. I won't tell you those things. Those are real. Those are part of who we are as human beings. Living in a broken world, when the brokenness touches us perhaps more closely than it has ever touched us before, those things are real. But like this psalmist, sometimes you have to say it before you feel it. For I will yet praise him. Verse 6, verse 11. I will put my hope in God. Again, 5 and 11. Remind yourself that he directs his love to you. Remind yourself he is your God and your Savior and your Deliverer. Tell yourself to praise him and to yet put your hope in God. Be like the deer that pants for the water that your soul would long for him because it will only be in Christ that your deep need, as deep cries out to deep, that your deep need will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?